0: Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church's podcast, where we are taught by the word and led by the spirit. I hope today's message encourages you and challenges you to draw nearer to Jesus. I just love the idea that God's people should love to tell of all that He's done. And so it should be a normal practice. And it's not a normal practice because it feels awkward. And so our goal is yeah, it might feel awkward here, but we're trying to make it easier that when we see God move, we write it down. Or we wanna be a people that I want God to use me. Will you pray for me, brother or sister, that God would give me opportunity to share and then come back to the church and be like, he did it. That's, that, it encourages, it, it edifies, it upbuilds. And so I wanna welcome you to Sunday. and We're gonna get into some, some kind of different topics today. Uh, but today is one of those days that we celebrate. It is called Mother's Day. And we love our mothers. I, we do, we love, I don't know why we're clapping, just felt right, all right? And so Mother's Day is one of those days where the whole, I don't know, does the whole earth celebrate Mother's Day or just America? The whole earth celebrates mothers. mothers. <laughs> maybe the whole earth is just going, man, there's these people called mothers, women who are, are, are mentors and caretakers and wives, and they, they are amazing. But also, whenever we get to these days, so Mother's Day, Father's Day, the reality is some of us are in this room and we're like, thank God for my mom. But the also, the opposite is true. Some of you are like, I don't like my mom. Uh, just kidding. Some of you are like, man, this is the, the first Mother's Day without mom. You feel that? And so the beauty of Christianity is we are not afraid of mixing grief and joy. We're not afraid to cry and mourn with people and we're also not afraid to dance and then put those things together. And so first service, we did the exact same thing, and I ended up with a lady in the atrium just weeping because this is first Mother's Day without mom, and she feels all. But there's also the reality that some of you, like you have your first child, this is your first Mother's Day, and you got that baby, and you're like, I'm a mom, we celebrate with you. Others of you, though, you might have lost a kid this year, and we grieve with you. But I'm so thankful for like, I'm, I'm thankful for bio moms, but I'm also thankful for foster moms, If that's you, praise God for you. I'm thankful for like the neighborhood mom. Everybody know who that is? It's like all the heathens of the neighborhood come to your house and you parent them. So they're not even your kids, but they're eating your food and you're telling, like cleaning their face. You're doing all that stuff. You're momming. You're momming hard, you know? Praise God for you. Uh, To moms who have, you know, have kids that are being rebellious, you're doing it. Stay in the trenches. They need you. You might have to choke them out a few times, but it's. You are God's force in their life, and we're so thankful for you. But what I've realized, and I, and I read a little bit about Mother's Day. There's a lady named Elise Fitzpatrick. Patrick. She uh, writes for Gospel Coalition, but she's a, she's a uh, seminary professor. She says, many women feel like this is the one day when they are forced to look at either their own shortcomings, resulting in guilt, or the shortcomings of others who fail to appreciate them properly, resulting in discontent. It's the one day you're told over and over that our identity as women is not rooted in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but in your ability to be the source of life and goodness for all. So any moms feel like they're hitting it 10 out of 10? One husband grabbed his wife's hand forcefully during first service and thrust it in the air. So, and the reality is, I think a lot of moms are walking around with this sense of like, I'm not doing the best, I need to do better here. And when we get to church, we just kind of like, hey, if you're, if, you, if, you, if you've born kids, then, but like, I just want to say, if you're a daughter of God, we are so thankful for you. Which means it's not about, did you birth babies? It's do you have Jesus as your Lord? And are you getting your identity and the source of your mothering and the source of your life out of him? Uh, and it's so, such an honor. Like, I want to pray over the moms in the room, but not just the moms, but the daughters, the women of God in this church. So if you are next to your spouse, and she is the mother of your children, you could put your hand on her. We're just gonna bless them. If you're not married to the woman next to you, please don't put your hands on her. <laughs> but even if you're not a mom, the reality is your worth in Christ is not attached to your, your ability to have kids. And so often we, we have these, we're gonna talk a lot about marriage, remarriage and, and birthing and all these things today. Uh, your worth is attached to Jesus Christ. So Father, we bless the women of Cobblestone and we bless the moms, the ones that are nurturing and growing and doing all the hard work that sometimes just gets overlooked. Will you bless them with the strength of God? Would you put wisdom and power and life in their very bones? That their homes would be places of peace and worship and the kingdom. I thank you that they are women that aren't just women to us, but they are daughters of yours. And so we place that identity on them. That who they are would flow out of that position as your daughter. That you are proud of them, that you love them, that you've saved them, and that you wanna use them. If it's to disciple two kids, Lord, give them wisdom of how to do that. If that's in business, if that's in life, whatever they're doing, I pray the things they put their hands to, they would do it with the power and wisdom of God. We speak life over them. If they're weary, we ask that you would lift that off and strengthen them. Thank God for the women of God of Cobblestone. Thank God for the daughters of God and the household of God. Thank you for my sisters. Thank you for the mothers. In Jesus' name, amen. So smack a mom today. Give her, like you're just gonna take her to Bob Evans dudes and get her like a really cheap something. Uh, She's worth a lot more. I don't know if you know that. So bless her. We're gonna talk a little bit about that. And so the reality is, I don't know who lets me plan these sermons, but for whatever reason, today, Mother's Day is this, this real life, we're talking about marriage, talking about singleness, talking about divorce. I just got a fist pump for singleness, yeah. Uh, and then, and divorce, which you're like, man, did you just pick all the topics that are really big? I did, I don't know why someone wasn't like, hey, maybe you should pick one, but I picked them all. Uh, because the, the reality is, when you get into real life, and we stepped into some real life last week, we did. The culture's out there trying to redefine gender. And we said, I don't know. We don't have to get swept along with that. The Bible makes really clear, God created man, God created woman. And then right off the heels of that, so if you have a Bible, go to Genesis chapter two. Right off the heels of last week, he starts defining marriage. So we don't have to get outraged at society. We're not mad. You don't have to get on Facebook and tell everyone how wrong they are. You get to gladly herald over all creation that everybody in this room and everybody on earth was created by God and for God. Made for him, in his image. So he's got a purpose, he's got a plan for every person, which is good news. And when we look at the verses of the day, we're gonna kinda try to flow, uh, I can't, this is mountains of topics. We could talk about marriage for the next six weeks and we would barely get through it all. We could talk about singleness and relationships and all that stuff for another four weeks. And then we could talk about divorce and all the teachings behind that and all the what ifs and all the scenarios for another seven. Really what my goal is to pull you out of whatever place you are in. If you are married, pull you out of this mindset that it's all about you and yours and pull you into eternity. If you're single, to pull you out of the mindset that like somehow God's holding out on you and pull you into an eternal mindset. If you're a teenager, to pull you out of your own behind and pull you into eternity. Amen if you are divorced, to pull you out of any shame that anybody's placed on you and put you into eternity. So no matter where you are, everybody in here is a person that is in some kind of relationship. So relationship with the boss, relationship with your spouse, relationship with girlfriend, boyfriend, you have relationships. And God sets up in the beginning, Genesis 2:24. he says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So we said last week, God creates man and woman in his image, there they are. It's Adam, which is the Hebrew word for man, and then whoa, man, woman, uh, Adam and Eve. And he puts them together, and logically, when you put a man and a woman together, you get baby humans, and they populate the earth, and here you are, okay? That's eighth grade biology, and I'm not answering those questions today. That's God's idea. So it's not outrage that the Christian comes, but we get to rightly look over marriage, sex, gender, and go, God has designed this. And that doesn't have to be mean, that doesn't have to be haughty, that doesn't have to be anything other than, and that puts a stop to all the what-ifs and the craziness of the world. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and two things, will become one thing. That's the foundation of how we're talking about today. But what I've learned over doing about 18 years of premarital counseling, a few weddings over that time, is there aren't really married people issues. There are only people issues that get worse in marriage. Did you hear me? So some of you are just straight up selfish, prideful, and a little bit lazy. And then you got married and you're mad about it because you have somebody that calls you out. So really, the, the problems existed as a solo person. You were selfish. You liked you. You looked in the mirror and you were like, yeah, that's, that's the problem. But then you do that in front of your spouse and they're like, what are you doing, you prideful moron? And you're like, oh, I resent you because you're calling me out of my selfishness. So that's one of the ways or one of the things that God uses to refine us and sanctify us to look more like him. When we talk about marriage, it's, it's beginning, you got to start at the beginning when you're doing theology, when you're doing it doctrine stuff, God establishes marriage. And from the point of Genesis 2, 24 on, men and women have been giving in marriage, taking in marriage, all that good stuff. And there's an ancient view of marriage and a more modern view. The ancient view of marriage was very practical. What I mean is, how many kids can we have because we got to farm this place? That was the view. It's practical and it was functional. So what you were looking for as a man was a woman with a wealthy family and wide birthing hips. Those were the, th- that was it. That was it. You're like, you're laughing, that's it. Because you needed children to take care of you in your old age, and they needed to be able to run a plow and farm your land. You didn't care about a lot of else. Then you get into the modern view, which is all Jerry maguire and like, he completes me. Ugh. It's a a very romantic view. It's a very human-centered view that somehow you or I have to go out into the haystack of the world and find the needle of the one person that's going to complete the very essence of who I am, which is a, a non-existent person. And so now you have the world going, well, I gotta find a person that's gonna fulfill me. But what the church gets to step into is go, no man or woman on earth will fulfill you. There is none. And so if you get that wrong, as a Christian, you'll have a pretty family, probably with 2.4 kids, a white picket fence, a labradoodle, and a safe IRA. But you could meet, you could miss your true calling into eternity. So the modern view, and I would ask you this question: if we were sitting together, what's the purpose of marriage? What's the purpose of singleness? What's the purpose of all of these things? And if you had to sum it into one word, start to think about that. And while you're thinking about that, turn to Ephesians 5, 31. Because Paul's gonna answer this for us to the Ephesians. He's gonna tell us what marriage is designed to do. And I know, I've heard a lot of marriage sermons. I've heard the submission sermon. I've heard the die, you know, server by dying as Jesus loved a church sermon. I've heard the communication sermon. I've heard the women are from Venus, men are from Mars sermon. I've heard them all. And we could do all of those for weeks on end, but what I want to do is pull you out of the you version of marriage, which is, it's all about you being satisfied. It's all about you having what you want. It's all about you and going, okay, what's God trying to do through my marriage? And in Ephesians 5, it says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What is he quoting? We just read it. So Genesis 2, Paul's pointing back to creation and the way God designed it. And then he goes, this mystery is profound. The fact that two become one flesh, that there's this unifying thing that if we tear apart one flesh things, it hurts. And it's like fibers are left over here and there's scars and there's pain. And some of you would experience that in this. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So he's talking about Genesis 2 edicts about men and women getting together and being married. And then he says, but it's really not about them. Who's it about? It's about this mystery of how Jesus himself unites himself with you and I. And so a true Christian marriage has at its goal not mutual satisfaction as a couple, but what? To point to the greater mystery, the, This is like a shadow. This is like, it tells a story of something greater. So if you have a labradoodle and a white picket fence and the best marriage, but you miss out on God, you actually missed out on life. And so as we look at marriage in the church, marriage is not ultimate. It is a shine and a shadow of a higher reality. It doesn't make it unimportant because I have biblical commands of how to be a husband. You have biblical commands of how to be a wife. It doesn't make it not important. It just makes it not ultimate. If Jesus Christ and my relationship with him, at the end of all things, when I die, or that trumpet, like here's Jesus. Who am I meeting in the sky? Anna or Jesus? Maybe Anna, that'd be cool. Hey Anna, how are you? Uh, Maybe, 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 not. Um, Jesus is, right? So Jesus is my eternity. Jesus is my hope. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the one this whole thing culminates in. So if I make everything about Anna, I will be disappointed. She's great, but she's not Jesus. And as we get into this topic, it's gonna sound like I'm docking on marriage, I'm not. But Christian marriages are fundamentally different than the world because we've put someone else in the middle and it's not us. And it goes wrong. So if you put, okay, here's, here's marriage. Right? or here's, here's the God of heaven and earth, my relationship with him, and I put marriage over it, everything gets weird. Same thing with singleness. If I, God and my eternal call into Christ are here, and I put my singleness and my loneliness over that, I will live weird. God's ultimate. is the only thing that's forever. And all of you in this room are in some kind of relationships, and I want you to organize them. i pull them out of that, that mindset. That that's what's most important. and go, all right, if God's my ultimate, how do I live in whatever relationship I'm in in a way where he stays there? We have done a ton of marriage counseling. And I always either look at the, the young man, usually first, and I go, you know that she is a poor, a poor replacement for Jesus, right? And then I look at her and I go, if you try to make this boy do what only Jesus can do, he will fail you. He might try for a while. He might actually put on deodorant for a while and dress nice. Uh, (laughs) She might, you know, there's so many things that we try to do, but no human being can satisfy your soul. Not your spouse, not your kids, not advancement at work, nothing can. Because you were made for God and you were made by him and for him. And so let me do this. I would love to just try to expand your view, your biblical view of marriage and eternity. And like I said, it's gonna sound like I'm dogging on marriage, but if you wanna talk about marriage, let's talk about what the Bible says, not what we want. I'm gonna go pretty quick, but in Matthew 22, it says, in the resurrection, Jesus said, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. So when you are resurrected in your final body, will you be married to whoever you're married to? No, you'll be like the angels in heaven. And I don't think that's the diaper-wearing, heart-playing kind. I think it's the redeemed, in a right relationship, seeing God correctly kind. You get to walk in the presence of God. That's your destination. So if you make your whole hope on earth, happy wife, happy life, you will disappoint the king of heaven and earth. If you make your whole hope on earth as a single person, if I only could just be satisfied with a husband or a wife, then you will probably disappoint the king of heaven and earth. It all comes down to satisfaction and where we find it or where we're trying to find it. He goes on in Matthew 12, he says, And when his own mother and brothers asked to see him, Jesus said, Who's my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. You're like, What? Let's have to do with marriage. So Jesus is always subverting the norm. You ever th- heard blood is thicker than water? Not to Jesus. So we go, the only thing that matters for me is me and mine. But Jesus is called by his mother, his physical, biological mother. And he goes, who are my mother? you think that hurt? And he goes, these are my brothers. These are my mother's mother, brother's family. You all are my eternal family. Now I have biological family and I have biblical things that I must do because they are but that doesn't make them more important than you. Actually, I'll be with you just a lot longer. Doesn't that change how we do things? But we don't talk like this because we're like, no, 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 tell me how to make my wife happy. Give me five easy points to good communication. And I'm like, but if you don't have Jesus in the middle, who cares if you talk to her better? Getting a little A woman once yelled at Jesus in Luke, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. And a woman cried out to Jesus. And he turned and he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So everyone in Jesus' age were looking at Mary and going, blessed is this woman that bore the son of God, which is a cool responsibility, is it not? What's his response? No, blessed are the people that keep my words and do them. He's changing the expectation. Humans love to look on the ordinary earthly plane, on the physical, and the kingdom of God is not physical. And he's trying to make us, all right, live for something longer and bigger. Last one, Mark 10, it says, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, Jesus said, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal white life. So whether you are married right now or divorced or wanna be divorced whatever, or single, whatever you are, what it all points to is Jesus is trying to go, okay, there's these natural things and then there's these heavenly realities. Which one are you living for? And the church for a long time, I believe has made an idol an idol of marriage. Meaning, if someone is single, we're like, we gotta get that fixed. If someone doesn't have kids, well that's a travesty because they're not doing their God-given ordained mandate. But if you're not married, are you less important to the kingdom? Please say no. If you stay single the rest of your life but you make five disciples, are you not doing what you were called to do? So the Great Commission, go therefore and get in a romantic relationship. Everyone's like, no, no, don't miss close scripture. Uh, go, therefore, and make disciples. So the person that goes and procreates is doing part of the original mandate because, all right, reality is you exist because two people got together and made some things happen. Think it through, ask your mom and dad. Okay, that's the reality. That's how creation goes on. That's how humanity populates the earth. But Jesus shows up and he's like, man, this whole, this whole thing, he calls it transient. All the stuff you can touch and see. We've talked about this. All the stuff that you love and cling to right now, you know what's gonna happen when you die? They're gonna burn half of it and then they're gonna have an estate sale and total strangers are gonna tear through your stuff. And none of it will last. None, my next door neighbor passed away suddenly he loved his wife dearly and had all her stuff stored perfectly. I watched total strangers just take all the stuff that he protected for so long before he died and you'd just chuck it into the back of a truck. So it's all, tra- it's, it's temporary stuff. And the Christian understands this, that my marriage then is not about me. It's how do I get Anna and I ready to meet King Jesus? How does she prepare me to submit all that I am to Jesus? How do I prepare her to give everything to Jesus? And that makes marriage so much better than just sex or miscommunication or being roommates. I get to actually be involved in something heavenly and eternal. And so marriage is temporary and it will give way to the church and Jesus, which then puts things in order. And I'm not dismissing the importance of this sign because I do think it's a gift. And every, a lot of people in here are married. And that's a good thing. It's not bad that you are married. And it's not bad that you are single. Do You hear me? One is not judgment from God. And one is blessing from God. They are called gifts and we'll get there in a second. But what happens when you put marriage or relationships or singleness or whatever being over God is, it gets weird. When your happiness and self-worth are dependent on being loved romantically, then you get, you're like, well, then the whole summary of my life, the whole existence of my life, the whole purpose is that I have to get another human being to love me romantically to be fulfilled. Where do you find that in the Bible? Where, where is that even a biblical ideal? Once again, I, I, I'm gonna say it this way. A life that does not produce biological offspring is not a failed life a life that doesn't make disciples of Jesus as a failed life. Did you hear me? Which for the single should take off all that pressure because you're not condemned for not having a spouse. God's not holding out on you. If you can't have kids right now, that's a hard thing. And I've walked through a little bit with a lot of people, but reality is God's calling us to something that that supersedes even what we can see. And the church has put such a weight because the reality is the sexual revolution sprung up in the 60s. So everyone's just sleeping with everything on LSD. I don't know what that was, that's LSD sex, I guess. I don't know. Running around, I'll just take that out of the podcast. Okay. That was the 1960s sexual revolution. So what's the church do? Well, it responds full swing by going, marriage, everybody get married. Married is the best thing ever and we overemphasized a good gift, but we made it everything. So the best thing a Christian can do is get married and have some kids. The best thing a Christian can do is be in the will of God and do exactly what he tells you. If he tells you to be single the rest of your life, you know what I would tell you to do? Be single the rest of your life. If he leads you to get married, I would be like, all right, follow the Lord in that, but do it his way. If as a teenager, follow the Lord, in your business, follow them. This is all about, I want God in the center of all things. And I've found that lonely, insecure, unhappy, single people, usually if they don't let God change them, just become married, lonely, unhappy, insecure people. So marriage isn't the fix. God didn't say, if you come to me, I'll get you married. He said, you come to me and I'll make you new. So if that's marriage... And we, I know I taught it the idol of marriage, but we really do overemphasize marriage as the highest pinnacle of Christianity. But single people are not less valuable to the king of kings. And single people all, all over the planet right now are serving the Lord in ways that I can't. Because I have a family and biblical call to serve and to die and to raise kids that love Jesus too. And when they move out, me and Anna will go all over the world and do the things. So let's talk about that. So if that's marriage, all right, pull out of this, world, marriage is all about me. It's about eternity and pointing to the sign that Jesus is gonna marry his bride one day. It's the language of revelation. The marriage supper of the lamb, where we all gather as the saved, redeemed people and hold up a cup and go, King Jesus. Not spouse, kids, mortgage, Jesus. So if marriage and singleness are part of God's plan or gift, is is that a biblical thought? Go to 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 7, uh, verse 7. Paul is teaching the Corinthian church. Uh, I think there's probably, I would assume, a lot of singles there. Or there's people that are very spiritual and are looking down on marriage or looking down on the singles, all right? We do either one. And he says in 1 Corinthians 7... I wish that all were as I myself am. Paul is unmarried. Paul is single. And Paul's going, I wish that you were like I am. And he's using I language, so he's saying me. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Do you see what he just called singleness? And some of you are like, I don't want that gift. I don't want it and I don't like it and I think God's holding out on me. But the reality is some of, I've met very few people that are actually called to chastity, to no, like no marriage, no sexual life. Very few. And they're always very satisfied in it. Because if it's a gift from God, he equips you for it. Now, some of you in this room, you're a lot like most of the guys I went to seminary with. They were just naturally burning with passion for women. And so they logically, you know what they did? They got married because the Bible says, okay, don't sexually sin, but get married so you don't. So you did that part, men, because you're like, I wanna have sex, but I don't wanna dishonor God. But then you never really thought it all the way through that that means it's gonna change your entire life. And Paul's about to make an argument that marriage, act- marriage actually changes your life. Did, did you know that? It changes the way I dress. Maybe not right now because she wasn't here when I got dressed the way you smell, the way you eat, the way you spend money. I got about four kids now, changes my financial structure, changes where I spend my time. People asking, what's your free time look like? Uh, Abe, Joel, Noah, and Grace, that's my free time at a soccer field, loving kids, serving people, and loving my wife. You're like, that sounds like a great time. But as a single person, you don't have to worry about that stuff. And so hear me, singleness, this is Paul, is not an inferior state to marriage. I'm gonna keep saying it. Every single person I talk to says, you guys get up there and talk about marriage. Like, it's the greatest thing since sliced bread and that we're missing out if we're not, you know, have a husband and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you're right, we do that. It's not inferior. And then there's been a big switch. So up to the Reformation, Martin Luther, the going belief in the church was, if you were a servant of God, if you were really serious about the things of God, you know what you would do? You would swear off marriage and all earthly belongings and you would come become a priest. Martin Luther comes to the Heidenberg doors, and he knocks those things, the theses on there, nine theses, and he starts to reform, and he goes, you know what? It's not scriptural for the servants of God not to marry. And so he's like, priests get married, and guess what they all do? They get married. He even gets married. And so there's been this big switch recently where the church went along from All right, if you're really served, you're gonna give up on earthly desires and the flesh and sex and all the normal stuff and you're gonna serve God and then it switched wholeheartedly. Well, if you're really gonna serve God, you're gonna get married, you're gonna make some kids and you're gonna work hard. And the reality is the Bible's going to call us into, once again, some good reminders. Just a good reminder, uh, the guy that we follow, his name's Jesus, was a 33-year-old virgin that changed the world who never had kids who served and died pretty much in the obscurity in a corner of the earth. And he had the fullness of life. And he offers you the fullness of life. And that might not always equal kids, weddings, or what you think. And so as we follow God, what we're doing is we're, we're submitting all that we are. And so every time you pray, you're praying to a 33 year old single adult in Jesus name. And what happens in in, in the church, at least as I've seen it, you meet a single person in the church and you can almost hear the like, bless her heart. Or like, like almost, I I can't cluck my tongue because I'm not a 72-year-old woman. Um, Sorry. But we say things like, well, as soon as you're satisfied in God alone, God will give you a spot. Or we say things like, well, Uh, You just can't be too picky. You know what you should do, daughters? You should really lower your standards. Just pick the first scumbag that walks in, marry him. You see how the church gives off this message? Oh, you're single, so you must be pitied. But it's not true. And you look at things like before you can marry someone wonderful, you must become someone wonderful. As if God's just like, okay, well, as soon as, you all are real sanctified, that's why you have a spouse. That's not how it worked, right? So it's not like God's holding out on some, but he gave us the greatest thing. And Paul's gonna tell us this because marriage is not ultimate. Marriage is not over God and life with him. Marriage is, singleness says all things come under him. And he says this in verse 29, a little bit farther, he says, the appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wise live as though they had none. That's like the great Vegas verse, Uh, Las Vegas. Like all the husbands are like, oh, I'm going to Vegas. I don't have a wife. That's not what he's saying. What is he saying? I believe we are living in the last age. Not even believe it. I believe biblically. The age of the church and the age of the spirit is the end before all things are done. So when the last person hears the gospel message of Jesus Christ, when the last tribe and tongue have heard the message, he'll return. And the trumpet will blast And it won't be baby Jesus, it'll be king, judge Jesus. And he'll come on a horse with a sword and a tattoo because he's awesome. That'll be the Jesus. And so what's Paul doing? He's going, I don't want to be distracted by a spouse. I want to give everything I can to tell every person I can about Jesus. That's his message. He says it in 30, for the present form of this world is passing away. On some level, you understand this. Like when you go to a funeral, for like the next two days you're like, I'm gonna live purposeful, I'm gonna live purposeful. And then all of a sudden the world just sucks you right back into this slipstream is what I call it, where you you step into Monday and all of a sudden it's Sunday. You're like, how did I get here? Paul's trying to get us to go, okay, live your marriage in a way where it points to Jesus. Live your singleness in a way where it points to Jesus. Live your teenage life like it points, do all of your relationships, as if it points to Jesus and something higher, because it does. And so marriage and singleness are temporary gifts God uses for the fulfillment of his purposes. You're like, you keep calling this a gift. Well, in verse seven of what we just read, he literally uses the word gift, and it's the same word for spiritual gifts, charismata. It's a spiritual gift that God gives to some to be single. And some of us, we were born, like some people are born like eunuchs. He's gonna talk about that. And he say, they, they're gonna get married and they can't even do the things that they need to do in marriage so they can stay celibate. And then he, he just starts walking through real life stuff. Marriage and divorce and all these topics. But each is his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. And so both single and, singleness and marriage have advantages and drawbacks. I'll show you the ones he gives you. He says, Verse 33, the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. I love Jesus, and I love the kingdom of God, but I do have a wife and four kids. And if I was to abandon them so I could go be a missionary somewhere or go do some great thing for God, I would dishonor the Lord in the very same moment that I was trying to honor him. So I'm required then, biblically, to do this thing where I'm, I'm trying to grasp hold of the kingdom and I'm trying to serve the Lord through my marriage and my kids. He says the same thing for ladies, verse 34, and the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things and how to please her husband. And all the time, young dudes will be like, I wanna get married. And I'm like, do you? It'll change everything. And so I, I don't care about the desires, fine. Humanity desires relationship because God's relational or made in his image. I care about if Christians will submit their relationships to God or not. Will you go, okay, God, I wanna get married. Do you want me to get married? I want to not be single, but if you want me to be, I know you'll sustain me. See, that's a different conversation. And so often we pull our relationships and we go, okay, God, you can have my salvation, you can have my money, but you don't get to tell me what to do in my relationships. But that's not how this works. And so singleness allows you sometimes to go do this mission that God might have you do. And there are single people all over the earth right now who are missionaries, who are preaching the gospel to tribes that I can't go to, and when my kids are, like I already said, when my kids are gone, me and our planet, we're going somewhere, babe. Like, we're doing it. But right now, I'm strangleholding kids. I'm cleaning up messes. I'm trying to show these young men what it means to follow the Lord. And so I, I, would, I would urge you, don't squander one blessing by coveting another one. And so, unfortunately, when you get into the topic of singleness and you get into the topic of marriage, you get into the topic of divorce, and remarriage. And we live in a world that is divorce happy. Like, pew, pew, pew. That's my divorce guns, I don't know what that is, but I felt right in the moment, but now I feel really weird. And I, before I even start this topic, I, I'm actually uh, the product of a pretty broken home. And uh, I didn't get emotional at first service, I just did. Uh, so my dad's first marriage, and he was married three times. His first marriage ended when he found his best friend in bed with his wife, so he divorced. His second marriage ended because he just constantly fought her, but I got a brother out of that deal, so it was pretty good for me. And his third wife was my mom. And so at the beginning of their marriage, it was really rocky because they weren't, he wasn't really a Christian yet, he was kind of still struggling with like hey, I, I wanna lift weights and I wanna drink beer and I wanna sleep around, which is a great recipe for a healthy marriage. Um, and somewhere in there they found Jesus and then I was made and at about two years old I was in their wedding. And I say all that not so you can be like, man, you are jacked up, but to say, do you see what I'm doing right now? I'm pastoring a church from a very broken place in my past. My dad once walked into a counseling session uh, for marriage counseling looked the counselor square in the face, said, I don't know about you, bud, but in my home, the men wear the pants, stood up and walked out of counseling. So us Holsworth men, we're rockheads who are really prideful, that come from a really place of just like, we, we, we steamroll marriages and we make, make a mess of a lot of things. So if you're in here and we're about to talk about divorce, divorce puts shame on people for years. That's not what we're going after today. Jesus takes broken things and makes them new. But he also says some very harsh, they seem harsh, but true things about God's original design for marriage, and divorce was not a part of it. So if you've been divorced, you're not irreparably broken. But for years, the conservative faction of the church said, if you were divorced, you could never be used by God again. You couldn't be a pastor. In fact, you were kind of relegated to the back, like, oh, they've been divorced. But I believe there is biblical divorce, and I believe there's really unbiblical divorce. So if you're in here and you start to feel all the feelings when we start talking about this, let's talk, let's pray, let's process. Like, what does it mean when Jesus says all that he's gonna say? And so let's read Jesus, okay, and not talk about us. Because the world would tell you right now the number one claim thing for divorce, irreconcilable differences, which just means I don't like her. She annoys me, she mouth breathes at night. Irreconcilable differences. Let's get divorced. And so what's happened because they don't have the message we have is, well, I gotta find a woman that'll satisfy me and my loneliness and make me whole. And so we hop from one woman to another woman to another woman, or from one man to another man to another man, and I'm just saying, if that's you, this is my ask. Can we just time out on that for a little bit and let God do some work? So Matthew 19, Jesus has an exchange with some Pharisees. They ask him about divorce and remarriage, because in the Old Testament law, Moses wrote, they could. It starts like this, and Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And you're like, that's a weird question, why would they ask that? Because in the Old Testament law, women had no rights, and men had all the rights. So a man, all he had to do, and he could divorce her for any reason, is get a, writ a divorce, and it could be like, hey, I don't like being with you. I fell in love with another woman. You're annoying. You nag me. Whatever it is, get her a written divorce, come hand it to her and kick her out of the house. And she had no recourse. She couldn't go be like, that's unjust. I didn't deserve it. None of that. So they're asking him kind of an unfair question, but it's part of their day. And he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So if you were to ask, let's just ask, let's have a real conversation, not fake church conversation. Is divorce part of God's original design? You have to say no, you do, you really do. He didn't want it. He put two, a man together and a woman together, and he said two things became one thing. So they're indistinguishable, I can't speak. And if I try to break apart the single thing that was made out of the two things, it causes all kinds of mess. And I bet I could say this if I, if I wanted to do this and say, who in here comes from a divorced, divorced family? And the rates are going up and up and up and up. And Jesus continues to call out, okay, I don't want, God, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And then they said, why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce, divorce and send her away? Why did Moses let us do it then? Why has it been common practice since then that a man can just give his wife a divorce certificate? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wife. But from the beginning, it, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only to those whom it was given. So once again, Jesus says, there's this giving of marriage and there's this giving of singleness. And some, some are eunuchs and some don't have the right body parts and some don't have the desire and some will be single. But do you notice the disciples' reaction to this teaching? They go, well, in that case, it'd be better not even to marry the lady. Because if you're telling me she's gonna nag me for 70 years and I can't get rid of her, I'm not, it's better not to get married. That's what they said. Is it not? Do Do you read it different? So even the disciples are like, well, that's not fair. How do I get out? You don't. The word of God's real clear that you should let your yes be yes and your no be no. And if you're married, you know how this goes. They stand you in front of a bunch of people wearing a suit and a tux that you didn't want to wear and you're all sweaty and you go, I promise to love you till death do us part. So how do you get out of marriage biblically? You die. Jesus says in other places, and this is why I'm letting Jesus form our opinion. He says in Luke 16, everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery and he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Matthew five, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. First Corinthians seven, to the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, then she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband and the husband should not divorce his wife. So if you were to ask me, what's, what does it seem the biblical stance on divorce is? Well, it seems like the biblical stance is it should not be sought ever. And then there's this like, okay, what if he cheats on me? What if she cheats on me? Then, yeah, but that's not, you have to. And so here at this church, I've, we've counseled a lot of people, a lot of brokenness. We've, 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 we've pastored through some hot messes. And it's always gut-wrenching when a husband comes to me and says, I've pleaded with her to stay with me, but she won't. What do you tell him? Well, based off what we just read. Someone comes to you and says, my husband cheated on me, but I decided to stay with him, but he just keeps cheating. Should I stay with him, Andrew? What do you say? See, this is where real life meets faith. This is where you have to start letting the Bible form your opinion. And then so, so much of how we talk about this topic ends with shame on somebody who was cheated on for divorcing, but God doesn't put the shame on them. And so what I see in this is Jesus trying to say, hey, as best as you can, you stay with the one you vowed to stay with. We never counsel divorce here, ever. I won't, John won't. Uh, None of our elders uh, will, as far as I know. Uh, It's just not our go-to. Our go-to is, hey, you forgive 70 times 70. Seven times seven, that's what it is. And that makes it really hard because some of you are right here in this room and you have been divorced and you are remarried and you're like, I'm not supposed to. No, you honor that commitment now. But what I am asking is there's a heart level change in the people of God Because before I came to Jesus, I hopped from one relationship to one relationship to one relationship. And some of you are running your marriages like that. You are like, well, she didn't fix the hole in my heart. What about her? Well, I don't like how her body looks. What about her? And you have your heart so all over the place. Would you, like I said, can you just time out on that? Stop it. No woman will satisfy your soul and you are doing irreparable harm to a bunch of women that God created in their, his image. So if that's the truth, then if you're divorced or remarried, there's a, so we can play the scenario game all day long, right? So what if they divorce, but then they get back together, but then she dies, and then like you just you get into all these scenarios. And it's really, it's really pretty clear, and that's why it's hard, because we want to have compassion. But some of us, Some of us need to come back and repent for the sins of our first marriage, or our second one, or our third one. Not in shame, but in reality, you wronged somebody. And they didn't cheat on you. You just didn't like them. That's biblical growing up. That's maturity and repenting for my sins in the past against another human. This is what I would say. No matter if you're, like I said, I come from this. This is what I am. And we're a hot mess so welcome nobody has to hang their head after this if you've been divorced if you want to be divorced don't Uh, but if you're there i don't have shame but i do have bible for you wrestle with it struggle with it when you ask the question should i be divorced i would say no but the world's a mess and it really needs jesus to put it back together what do we do now so we talked about marriage and we talked about singleness and then we talked about this lovely topic that sucked all the air out of the room divorce. Uh, where do we go? Where do we go from here? Well, I have one question that I would like you to ask to every person you are in a relationship for the rest of your life. So we'll just try not the rest of your life. This week, I have a challenge for you and it's actually rooted in scripture. Philippians 2 verse 3 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. There's no marriage in there, right? There's not. There's no dating. There's no, it's just, if you are in Christ, this is your attitude you should have. And I see men and women in this room that are in Christ. And so your call this week is to count others more significant than yourself and to do nothing out of selfish ambition, which is a hard task, right? So let's apply this and you're like, well then what's the question? It's a very simple question. It's like a Chick-fil-A kind of question. How can I serve you? I want you to ask that to every human relationship you have this week. And if you're single, you get to ask it. You get to ask it of your boss, you get to ask it of your roommates, you get to ask it of your friends, you get to ask it of everybody. If you're married, you get to ask this. So let's start, I'll start at the top. If you're a a married man, I want you very simply to start asking this regularly. You're like, out loud, yes. She can't hear your mind. I know you mean it when you go, uh, but she doesn't know that. So it's hard, this is harder to do. It's easy to say, hard to do. And here's the reality, I've been married a few years so that when you go to her and you say, hey babe, how can I serve you? You know why you ask that a lot of times, men? because you know what it'll get you. Are we talking real marriage yet? Or are we not? Are we not there? How can I serve you so I can get what I want? You don't even have to go sex. You can go, how can I serve you so you'll let me play golf with the boys? How can I serve you so I can get what I want? It's self. You see the self? But that's not what the Bible calls you to do. And the life following Jesus is not a self-life. It's a denying life. So the, the greatest in the kingdom of God are the least. The leaders and the great ones in the kingdom of God are the servants. So what is a wife supposed to do? What is a husband supposed to do? What is a single person supposed to do? Serve. How can I serve you? And not with an ulterior motive. And a little insight from our house, like from the Holdsworth house, um, I'm not always good at this. She's way better at it than me. But for a while we would struggle with this because I would come home and I would be just really tired, and I'd be like, just got home from carrying the church all day, because I'm me, uh, right? Not really, but that's how, you know, you come in, and you're like, I did all this stuff. And she'd be like, no kidding, I've been here all day with these four heathens, holding up this house, right? So you're kind of like, you're kind of out trying to out tired each other. You ever play that game with your spouse? Well, I got up at 5.30. Well, I got up at 4. Um, well, I met with 17 people. Oh, 18, you know, So that kind of gets you the right to do what you want. You get to sit on the couch and drink the beer and watch the game. You get to do, you know what? And so really, this is a challenge to all sides. And really, she learned this before me because it takes one person to humble themselves. Because as soon as she would say, how can I serve you or what do you need to feel at rest? I'd be like, what do you need? How can I serve you? You know what I mean? And it's, it's beautiful because that's what Jesus did to you. He came after you and served you when you were his enemy and died for you. And so you want a model of eternal, eternal marriage? Serve her until you're dead, men. Lay your life down. How can I serve you? What if she takes advantage of me? What if she doesn't sleep with me just because I clean the dishes? What is she, your maid for hire? What are you doing? She's your wife who you are to love as Christ loved the church. So it's not about you. And marriage in America right now is all about the person. Does it satisfy me? Do I like it? Is it good for me? I don't like, you know, and it's, no, Christianity is not about you. So marriage is not about me. Life is not about me. It has to be about him. And it can't be about you because you're too little for the universe. And so men, this is my challenge. Some of, some of you don't even know this, but your wife is unhappy and you're okay with it. But you wouldn't even know. Because as long as she doesn't nag you or leave you, you're good. But that is not the ideal of Christian marriage. And so I'm begging you, in the name of Jesus, engage, men. Engage. All that strength is not used on you. It's used to serve and protect and honor and love and guard and lay down your life. How can I serve you? And I don't care if she, you're like, you don't understand the honeydew list that's coming my way. I, I do actually understand the honeydew list that is coming your way. But it goes both ways, do you see? So if I'm going, how can I serve you? And she's going, no, how can I serve you? And I'm going, no, 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 I wanna honor you. And she's, it's, it's this mutual thing. And some of us, were a little bit out of sync and one of us might be more spiritual or something. And how can I serve you? And you're like, well, let me tell you. And, but you trust God in all this. The verse that says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you, that all is really important. It means food, water, clothes, housing, satisfaction. All this will be added to your life when you seek and choose the things of God first. So, you be the spouse that says, I want to surf. And, men, I understand. I've walked in from some pretty long days in my garage. It's dark. I can't see. I trip over something. And I stop and I go, God, give me strength to surf. Because I just want to be about me for a few minutes. And I walk in and I grab a kid and I choke out another teenager. Um, And I say, babe, we're good. And I play the games and I eat the food and I have the conversations and I go to bed tired. You know why? Because godly men go to bed tired. And that's okay. But don't make it about you and don't force her to serve you. So ladies, same thing. Powerful question. How can I serve you? And the reality is most men, they're not even gonna respond in English. They're they're gonna do one of two things. They're gonna go, how can I serve you? And he's gonna either grunt, which means nothing, but he he probably does need some help, or he's gonna give you a weird sexual cue because we're dudes. So it's just the reality of marriage. So some of you are like, he's talking really candidly. I'm just talking about how married people talk. How can I serve you? And he might say so many things or he might say something at all, but the desire of a Christian wife is, if it's how to serve, how can I make the home a place where you have peace and rest where you've been working all day? How can I make the place where you love God and love to be here? How can I I serve you? That's a hard question because you're like, he doesn't deserve to be served. He's lazy. I don't respect him. That could be the first problem of your marriage. Put a finger on it, maybe. Uh, What if we had this attitude, not even just towards like our spouses in that way, about sex? How can I serve you? Husband's, Stop asking to give her a back rub with ulterior motives. Serve her. If she needs to be left alone, if she needs to go on a retreat, if she needs to go get time with God, give it to her. It just got really real and everyone's got really quiet. What can I do to serve you? Teenagers, you're not out of this either, right? Next time your parents have friends over, walk into the middle of that group and go, mom and dad, how can I serve you? And just watch the parents go, How'd you get one of those? Why? Because the earth is not used to people that are not me-centered. The whole earth is full of people going, what about me? Wife, you serve me. Kids, you serve me. But Jesus served us, so we serve people. We lay down our lives. Teenagers, you're not out of this. Kids, you're not out of this. Wives, you're not out of this. Singles, you're not out of this. There's not a Christian on the planet that can't ask the question of their bosses, of their roommates, of everyone they come and come, how can I serve you? And then the reality is, all day long, you're running into people that are desperately in need of somebody that'll go, I'll serve you right now. And I'll show you that there's a better way and there's a king worth living for that's not here. The reality is, grace is the most powerful powerful change agent on the planet. God saved me because the grace of God was made real to me. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. I was his enemy. And God changed me and pursued me and set me free from a million vices. Freely you have been given, freely give. With your spouse, your roommates, as a single person, no matter what you are. But to sum this all up, Really, marriage and family are all temporary things that are preparing us for a very eternal thing. Does your marriage point to Jesus? Is Jesus in the middle, or have you let the kids get in the middle? Is Jesus in the middle, or is she in the middle? Is Jesus in the middle? Anything else other than God in the middle, it'll get weird. You'll start looking for satisfaction in places you shouldn't like look for satisfaction. And I realize that, man, we touched some pretty heavy topics. So if you're single in this room and there's longing in your heart, we love you. And I'm so thankful you're here. I'm not ashamed of you. I don't think you're lacking. And if you want, have the desire for a mate, I hope we can disciple some men that'll date you, ladies. I don't know what I want Just stop talking If you're married and you're calling yourself a godly man and you're dishonoring your wife, stop it. Stop it. Time to grow up, boys. Time to be men who pray, who share their thoughts with their wives, who serve their kids without, like, getting, like just get tired and go serve. Women, time to stop nagging him and start praying. Start asking God to move in power in your house and being a godly woman, not an earthly woman. Singles, it's time to give all that you are to God and go wherever he tells you to go. And if it's to a spouse, praise God, we do weddings, okay? If you're divorced, we're not mad at you. We want God to heal every wound that you've ever been given or given. And this is the beauty of relationships in the gospel. They're made new in Christ. So what we're gonna do, we're just gonna pray through all of these things. We're gonna pray over married men. We're gonna pray over married women. We're gonna pray over singles. And the band's gonna come up. We're gonna worship out of today. Uh, but it's Mother's Day. And so we wanna pray for the moms again. We wanna just give all that we are. So if you're here and you're feeling a lot about singleness, you're like, I hate this and it hurts. I want you to try to hold that out and go, God, here it is. I don't want it. What do you want? If you're divorced and you feel this pain or shame, can you hold that out and get God, Will you exchange this for what you have for me? If you're married and you've just been not feeling a lot of hope about it, will you hold that out to the Lord and say, God, fill my marriage. So Father, we just come before you and I thank you that we can approach the throne of grace and ask for help. And we just start to lift up different groups in this room. And I just start with my single brothers and sisters and I thank you for them we speak life and encouragement that they are not lacking in Christ, that they are not somehow undeserving of some special gift, but that they have the very spirit of God. They are sons and daughters. And I pray if they are feeling lonely, that you would stir up your body to be a real family for them. And we bless them in your name. We bless them in the name of Jesus. We ask that you, God, would provide deep relationships for them, romantic, whatever you have for them, that you would, sat, like, if truly singleness is your call on them, that you would satisfy them in the depths of their soul. But if, it's a, if this is waiting or if this is producing in them something that they can't see, will you give them patience? And would you produce in them godliness until you provide a spouse? Would you protect them, God? Would you protect them from angst and fear and call them into deep trust and deep waters with you. We pray for those that have been divorced or maybe are remarried after divorce and we just actually in the name of Jesus any shame would come off of them that there's new life in Jesus. And I know God that it's it's, it's such a hard topic but will you enter into that with them and take them by the hand and would you lead them if this is their second, third, whatever marriage, help them to be a better spouse, a spouse like you, like a, a, a kind, loving, serving leader. We just bring you, God, any brokenness in our relationship. We don't go too fast. We hold it out like, God, I, I messed up that first marriage so bad. Will you heal me? I wronged them and I am stuck and I don't know what to do. Help me, God. And God, I lift up the men in this room, the the married men, that you would put the strength of the spirit of God upon them, that you would convict us of wrong attitudes, of lust, of pride, of, of selfishness, that you would help us right now to put to death what's earthly in us and that we pick up the banner of we are Christ's men. And we will love our brides like Christ loved the church. Help us, God. It's so hard some days. Fill them with strength. Fill them with like even divine plans of how to serve and when to serve and what to say. More than anything, God, I ask for the humility of Jesus Christ, that we would be humble men that ask for help, that show our wives our real selves, that aren't afraid to share who we are with our our kids, that you would help. I thank you for the women and the moms in this room. I praise this for the, the married women in the room, God, that you would really put your hand upon them and that the spirit of Christ would really rise up and that they would begin to speak truth over their, their spouse. They, their words are, have power in them. Their homes would be a place of peace and worship. That right now, God, we bring to you our marriages. May they point to something eternal. And if they're not, will you correct them? I thank you, God, that everybody in this room was made by you and for you. That you have plans for them. Will you use our relationships to show off how good you are? Would you heal the brokenness? And I just want to pause for a second and let you talk to God. So if you're married, would you just start talking to God about, with for your spouse? If you're, if you're feeling broken in your relationships, talk to God about it. Be honest with Him. If you're longing for a spouse, would you talk to God about it? Bring it to God. If you're pondering divorce, talk to God and take seriously his word and I'm going to leave you right there and we're just going to worship and you can go you can stay you can come get prayer from our prayer teams really I believe Jesus can heal anything and so no matter where you are happy Mother's Day don't run away if you're feeling offended I know I said some stuff that's petty let's worship God and then you are free to go to your Bob Evans meal with mom or whatever you're doing I love you. I hope today's message has been a blessing and an encouragement to you. If you would like more information, you can find us at www.cobblestonechurch.com. Have a great week and God bless.